Indie Mogul has a brand new host, and he is a brand new guest on this podcast. Dave Mays is here. Hey, Dave. Hello. What's up, Tyler? Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad you could uh, come on. And congratulations on your new role and your new job and your new everything. Uh, I don't know. What's it been like? What? How, how did this happen? Well, I really can't put any one thing on it. It really just kind of happened by chance and by, by a stri- strike of luck, I guess. Um, I've been working really hard. If, if I were to put it into anything, I've been working really hard on uh, my YouTube channel, Kinotika, for the last three years and um, going to a lot of events, meeting different people. And one of those people was Ted Sim from Indie Mogul. We had lunch about a year ago. And um, actually, ironically, um, I got robbed about four months ago and Ted reached out to me and I kind of struck up a, another, uh, we rekindled our friendship from that moment and honestly about a month and a half ago he called me up and was like hey man would you like to be a new host on indie mogul and i was like what what uh what do you mean by that <laughs> and <laughs> yeah well, um and basically know, he's like the nicest dude as well he's a great oh guy. my gosh ted is so nice and if you're not familiar with ted yeah he's also the president of uh aperture here in the united states and um, he also hosts and is basically the president of Indie Mogul as well. So uh, his hands are full. So he he needed a little extra help on the channel. He also wanted to start getting into uh, gear reviews, um, and that's really what I specialize in. So well, and I'm sh- I'm sure there are some people out there that don't know Indie Mogul. Uh, somebody must not know about them. So quick uh, background: who who and what is Indie Mogul? Yeah, sure. Indie Mogul is actually one of the oldest filmmaking YouTube channels on YouTube. It started about 12 years ago. Uh, They started making DIY indie filmmaking tips and tutorials. uh, Literally back when YouTube was like a a thing that you could uh, just hear about and be like, what's YouTube? I mean, it's really nuts how old the channel is. It was just recycled SNL skits. Yeah, basically, exactly. Um, it was actually purchased by Google when they started kind of buying up some of the big channels. Uh, and then after a couple of years, I don't really know the whole history with that world and what was going on then, but, um, Google actually bought a bunch of the big YouTuber channels cause they thought maybe they would be their own production studio and produce their own content on YouTube. It ended up not working out. They found out that YouTube is really all about creators creating, not Google making content necessarily. So, um, yeah, that's a weird idea to ever. Yeah, I know. It's it's a really strange concept, but honestly nobody knew what this was going to look like, so, you know, you can't neg them for trying, I guess, cuz I don't even think Netflix was doing streaming at the time. I mean, YouTube kind of was before Netflix streaming, so um they were just experimenting, but yeah, uh Griffin took over after that point and he kind of controlled the channel. Um for several years. And then the channel kind of went dormant for the last four years or so. And then Ted Sim got control of the channel about a year and a half ago. And he totally revitalized the channel, started doing more filmmaker based content, interviewing DPs, filmmakers, all sorts of great people in the industry here in Hollywood. And um, now they're branching off and we're doing gear reviews and gear tutorials uh, with me as the host of, of that sector of the channel. So it's really taken on many shapes and forms throughout the years. I think like one of our biggest videos is actually a Harry Potter parody song has 22 million views on it. <laughs> 
So like if, <laughs> if I tell somebody it's like many things to many people, exactly. If I tell people that I'm the host of, uh, of indie mogul, they're like, Oh, the channel that does Harry Potter parodies is like, no, 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 it's, it's taken on many forms. It's been around for a long time. And, um, I'm really honored to be a part of this legacy now. Um, I think a lot of people remember indie mogul who were getting started in the DSLR kind of revolution seven years ago. Uh, Indie Mogul, along with Film Riot, Video Copilot, uh, Freddie Wong, Corridor Digital, that crew of YouTubers, Indie Mogul was totally a part of that same conversation. So it's pretty cool to be a part of that uh, that legacy for sure. Basically, at this point, you are part of internet history. So that's pretty <laughs> awesome for you. I guess so. And uh, the thing that got us talking was that we both did some of the first red Komodo reviews. Um, mine yes. just dropped the day of, uh, well, the day we're recording, I don't know when this will come out, but, and then, um, yours had come out um, like almost a week ago. So you got it out pretty, yours, I think was the first full review that I saw, right? Thank you. Yeah. I think there were a couple of guys who are filmmakers, you know, DPs who aren't quote YouTubers that got a hold of, uh, the red before we did. And, uh, did some unboxing and some initial reviews, um, we were first with the kind of in-depth, uh, YouTuber centric kind of in that format of reviews. Yeah. Right. All the features, all the tests. Exactly. Um, within, you know, our, our very limited, uh, restrictions here, we didn't do any scientific tests by any means, but, um, we did do autofocus tests and low light tests and dynamic range and all that kind of stuff. And we were we posted our video at the same time as Marquez, so we were able to kind of ride that wave with uh, MKBHD posting his first impressions video, which was more of an overview, and and he has a lot of experience in the red ecosystem. But ours went into a lot of the nitty gritty details, at least the things that fascinate me and made me most excited about the camera. And you and I have been talking about this on Twitter for a while, so. I'm excited to be uh, here and, and to discuss it more. I loved your video, by the way. I just watched it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and and also with Marquez's video as well. It's he's creating them for mostly for people that he knows won't buy it and aren't even interested in buying this camera. You know, there, there's a lot of people that just watch. It's sort of like his dope tech series where it's like this is just cool. Yeah, you're exactly. gonna like this, but you don't need it. Um, whereas you know, you and I are are talking to an audience that you know either either may purchase it or it's in the realm of something they may consider uh, for the future. So Yeah, or at least rent it. That's what we actually yeah. did. We rented ours off of ShareGrid. Uh, it was about $200 a day oh, here wow. in LA. Oh, I was LA. wondering. Crazy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's how we got a hold of it. Um, so here in LA, there's actually four or five guys already renting it out on ShareGrid, which if you're one of the early adopters of this camera, I think it's a pretty clever thing to do you might be able to pay it off in a couple months honestly a lot of people want to play with it so <laughs> start yeah yeah especially right at the beginning um, yeah. it's funny actually i tried doing share grid last time i was in la and i couldn't make the insurance work for me as a canadian like whatever it is <laughs> they required i just like I, I couldn't get it working and so i couldn't use it i don't know maybe there's, if there's a way to do it somebody tell me because i don't know if i'm ever in the states again <laughs> i'd love to be able to use it it's an amazing service i, I really love what they do but yeah it really uh, is know, i just I, I gotta get it set up so um and then yeah for me it was total coincidence i wasn't planning to do this video but i arrived and i messaged a friend you know i only uh because it was, it was in amsterdam and i only have 
a couple friends there and I messaged both of them and one of them was like, Hey, I've got a red Komodo showing up tomorrow. Do you want to play with it? And like, wow, I have the perfect project for us. Uh, so yeah, we, we went out and shot and did a, did a video together. So on the boat, um, social distancing yeah. from everybody. It was really great. Yeah, exactly. Well done. <laughs> yeah. All, all very outdoors. Uh, and we shot a bunch more too that, uh, I'm thinking I will do a second video as awesome. well. Um, so should be good, but it's very fun to play with. So, uh, yeah, I, but I, I think maybe let's maybe upfront, let's like do a bit of a deep dive on the Komodo later, but let's upfront get through some more surface level, just like sort of some news and things going on because yeah. there's been a lot. Um, I, I've heard a lot of people say that like, usually the summer is the slow time for news, especially in tech stuff just stops coming out for a while and all the podcasts need to do filler. And this has been nonstop. It, it there's so much news that I've started talking about news on this show, which I try not to do, but I feel like I kind of can't help it anymore because <laughs> some of it's just coming. So um, it's just coming so fast and it's really affecting um, creators. You know, it's like it's yeah. part of our world. And like, if you, if you make things and need to buy cameras, especially to do that, uh, you, you got to consider this stuff right now. So um, yeah, it's all been pretty fast moving and I don't know, I feel like we should cover a few of them anyway. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of crazy news going on in the Apple and Google world with uh, Unreal and or not Unreal, oh Epic. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it is Unreal, though. But <laughs> and then TikTok, and yeah, I mean, all sorts I, of crazy things going on right now. Oh, it's too much. And, you know, this this show isn't uh, current enough to, to update things on the latest. But, you know, at the end of the last show, we did briefly mention the Epic Apple situation. Um and again, yeah, like I said, this isn't this show isn't super timely. So the things I want to say about it hopefully will age beyond the news cycle because who knows who's going to have won what lawsuit and who's going to come out on top and all this. Yeah, the 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 two cents that I want to get in about it, just the the thought I want to get out there now that I've been able to dive a little deeper into the news story, is that everybody is wrong in this situation. <laughs> both I think both parties are are approaching this poorly um first of all epic it feels like epic is trying to piggyback on top of a legitimate problem in the app store which recently the 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 big news um, you know a month ago was with hey which is a email service provider that had a very legitimate uh email service that had an app that it, it was only functional if you bought the service and then apple said like okay well you can't put it in the app store if it if you don't have some kind of free yeah. use case so they basically kind of got kicked out of the app store when they didn't deserve to and that was pretty unreasonable a lot of people were i think the the correct side was to criticize apple for it and say like look you got to do better and you got to uh if you're going to be the um emperor of your closed uh, walled garden then you need to you know, be beneficent and you need to make us all feel like you have our best interests in mind. And this was a case where it felt like Apple didn't have developers or users best interest in mind. So now a few weeks later, what I see Epic doing is they're like, look, here's a moment where people are mad at Apple about the app store. Let's <laughs> jump on this and try to look like the same kind of victim. They had their own video made and everything. They like animated a full <laughs> commercial. They were yeah, ready to go. Was like, it was really clever. They <laughs> executed it well. Yeah. And yeah, it's playing on loop in Fortnite as as well. Um, they, they did. I mean, they got their message out there effectively, but it was it was sort of too perfect to me. It was like yeah. they were piggybacking on top of a legitimate 
story of um, legitimate grievances of a smaller developer and saying, well, poor us, we intentionally broke Apple's rules and put paid services inside of the app store that we know are not like no questions asked. What they did was not allowed and intentionally not allowed. Like they were provoking Apple. Um, And then they act like it's Apple's fault that the, that Fortnite was pulled from the app store. Um, And that is just an unreasonable perspective of what happened whether they might have a legitimate cause for for grievances and maybe it's even a legitimate lawsuit like maybe maybe they'll win and if they do it's apple's fault for having made them angry like for for having made so many developers feel so dissatisfied that apple that they would be in this situation at all yeah Um, so anyway i don't know that's my take on it i i feel like Apple is doing wrong by some developers and it's spilling out into this bigger relationship issue where they're making all of their developer, many developers upset. Yeah. And then Apple or, and then Epic is exploiting it. This episode of the Salmon podcast is brought to you by the new season of wireframe, a podcast all about how UX can help technology fit into our lives. Wireframe is a show for designers and the design curious hosted by Koi Vin, senior director of design at Adobe. The pandemic has changed our habits and our lives, and this season of Wireframe leans into how design interacts with these changes. So you'll listen to stories like how user experience design helps people manage stress and sleeplessness, or find something good to watch on an online streaming service, and even help individual creators and social causes through crowdfunding. And this is a good one too, how you can help older family members understand technology. And now that I've listened to a few episodes from this season, I gotta say my my favorite was still the one about helping older people understand their technology because I could just relate to it so much. But the most recent one was also a great listen, and it's about how user interfaces in our video streaming services really affect how we watch. Because it touches on all these points that I used to think a lot about when I was a user interface designer and how people don't even understand necessarily like how you're trying to subtly manipulate them, but um, not not necessarily in a bad way, but it has an effect on their actual behavior. And that interaction between the designer and user is really fascinating to me. You'll hear from some seriously impressive design leaders who have brought UX and UI experiences to companies like Headspace, Patreon, Kickstarter, and with things. Why things? <laughs> I always forget how that company's pronounced. Whether you're into UX, UI, technology, or just curious about the way that design affects our everyday lives, I think you should go check out the show. Just search for Wireframe in your favorite podcast app, like the one that you're using right now, or just check out the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Wireframe for their support of this show. I was just listening to um, Renee Ritchie talk about this on... Uh on John Gruber's show. And he was talking about how um, Epic basically wants to just create their own app store and have their own ecosystem, just like Apple. So at the end of the day, that's not like, they're not trying to fight this battle for developers. They're just trying to have their own store on the app store so that they can charge people 13% or whatever. So, I mean, it's not, they're not this valiant, like superhero that we can, you know, wish that, you know, they're going to win because they're the good guys. There's, it's kind of a gray area right now where we've got these two massive companies fighting each other and there's good and bad sides to both, I think, in a lot of respects. So we'll just have to I see mean, how it's it goes. definitely entertainment, but uh, it's like professional wrestling and tech <laughs> news because, yeah, because they are such big companies, right? 
it's, yeah. it's hard to feel like I can't feel that bad for Epic because they are huge. Even, you know, Apple is much huger, but um, Epic is prepared to fight a real battle. They have a budget for lawyers. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think I haven't looked at the I'm sure reading like Reddit threads, I would see more of how much are Fortnite players taking what side here? Uh, I'm a little worried, and I haven't looked, but I'm a little worried there probably is somewhat of a response that's just totally backing Epic and saying, like, I can't believe Apple would do this. Apple is against its users. Um, and it's just sort of is like buying into to propaganda a little bit. Like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, Fortnite yeah. has a lot of uh, teenage fans, uh, so I'm sure, you know, and apparently... And that's maybe just who I'm speaking to. It's like, I, I yeah. think just if there's anybody listening that, um, you know, feels like this is clearly one-sided, it's just not. It's, no. it, it is a complicated issue. And like I say, every, both sides are wrong. <laughs> I will say I tried to explain all this to my wife and she was like, huh? I don't care. Yeah. You know? So, well, all of I, us... I even have a little bit of a feeling of that. I'm like, it, it just, it feels a little contrived. You know? Yeah. It's like... <laughs> trying they're trying to make a news story so the, the thing is this could this will have big effects this is why we have to talk about it even though it is contrived is because this will change something important yeah relatively soon i, I don't and we don't know what it is if it's lawmakers coming in and passing regulations that affect how all apps are used you know it could have some really negative effects if it if it kind of yeah. goes in the wrong direction like we don't or i don't want a situation where the rules are coming from the top down from, uh, you know, from government down to private corporations. Cause I just think government doesn't understand this stuff well enough to, to make good laws about it. Right. So I would rather see this pressure lead Apple to make the right decisions themselves. And I, I don't think those decisions are most of all about giving a bigger, like the, the revenue share to developers. That doesn't seem like the most important thing to me. Um, it's much more about, you know, if uh, I, I, a few people have made this point repeatedly, I think John Syracuse has been most clear spoke clear spoken about it. But that you know, if if Apple is going, if their whole point is that they want to ensure that the quality of apps on the App Store is always high, then they need to follow through with that in all of their decisions, not just when it has monetary interest for them. Mm. That's really good. Because there I are lots that. of bad apps on the store. Yeah. There's, there's, there's tons of spam and crap out there. <laughs> totally. That Apple's fart making apps. money off of and they're not stopping that. Yeah. So a lot of anyway. fart apps and, uh, um, you know. Oh, you're saying those ones are bad too. Dem- I demand that all fart apps leave the app store immediately. <laughs> um, okay. There's a, there's a few other, uh, other things. So one, one that was exciting, actually, I, I should have led with this. It's way more interesting is, um, and it's small, so we probably don't have that much to say about it. But uh, news about Canon. Oh, where was I on this last week? I, I don't remember how far along it was. I mean, I'm pretty sure we had already talked about that the overheating appears to be a timer. Yep. And then there's been other updates since that, like, putting a piece of tape over a sensor in your battery compartment yep. will override the timer. Yeah. Andrew Reed from uh, USHD continues to to find new things about this overheating. Uh, I think the most recent thing that he's posted on EOSHD shows if you take a little screw and screw it into the battery slot, it can <laughs> kind of disable the timer in the camera, apparently. Um, wow. I think, honestly, Canon has a lot to say right now. They're st- They're being quiet. They really need to have some sort of response here because they're being accused of potentially lying to their customers, uh, which 
is a pretty serious thing. So, um, yeah, for sure, we've kind of known for a while that Canon disables things intentionally to protect their cinema camera lineup, and that couldn't be more kind of obvious if you come from that perspective when you look at what's going on with this overheating. Um, there's a lot of Canon diehards out there who still are saying, you know, no, I'm, I'm going to trust that, you know, this thing overheats. I've talked to actually camera engineers about this and they've told me there is overheating that can happen on the sensor that isn't being read from an internal temperature control. You really need to get the temperature of the, the sensor, the autofocus system, um, there's much more to it than what we've seen so far in terms of reading just off of the XF data. Um, so as of right now, we're still not getting a full picture of everything. Apparently there is, um, a Chinese engineer that I think took apart the camera and actually did some of this really extreme testing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if like in a couple months, some genius out there figures out some really goofy hack that involves taking apart your camera, maybe buying some sort of DIY kit and then doing this yourself and, do and hacking it. <laughs> um, but don't do I, it, right? The, the, yeah. No, the thing is, is like if you're going to use this camera for any kind of work, it has to support those features natively like you 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 can't hack it and then expect it to be a professional piece of kit like you're yeah. still spending a ton of money on this thing and uh, you know i feel like you know watching andrew if anybody hasn't read the eos hd stuff it's great that andrew is doing this work but he, as a his personality is very angry like in general <laughs> um he's a troll know, he's, he's yeah yeah do you know andrew um, so have you ever met him no i don't i don't know him personally at all i just i just see a lot of yeah, very so negative I, tweets flying I've, uh, all the time. <laughs> I've met him. We had dinner together. We had drinks. Um, we mm -hmm. actually hung out for uh, two or three days in Germany. Um, so I would actually call him a friend. We actually uh, DM each other constantly about all this stuff. Um, I don't public like I do share his stories. Um, I come at it from the angle of everybody kind of hates the guy. I can just tell you from meeting him, he has the most British dry sense of humor that you could ever imagine um so it's a character that he's playing honestly uh i'm not so much saying that he's like that i'm not saying this to say that he's a bad guy but i'm saying that a lot of what <laughs> he's writing about it yeah. has some conclusions that are very yeah you know, it's like the same way that epic is approaching apple it's like look it's time for us to to sue canon to hell and drive them out of business because they have yeah. you know screwed their customers totally and i've been seeing that that is filtering through to normal photographers. Like people I talk to that aren't in the media are getting that sense of like, oh, did you hear the Canon is intentionally doing X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, <laughs> I just, I don't think that's a healthy relationship for any of us to have with the companies that we are, are so directly, uh, you know, using their stuff. It's like, I, d I do think Canon w will intentionally handicap their products, but it's not... To, to jump to the assumption that it's like, no, their engineers don't understand how cooling works. That's just wrong. Like they clearly have experts that really do understand the stuff and wanted this to be a very good product and made some, I think, you know, it's more, it's almost more like PR or marketing mistakes by saying what it could do. And then the way that those features came out, like there's huge mistakes. Canon is absolutely screwing up here. I'm not saying that they are innocent of this it's just that um 
you know, don't, don't just, uh, I don't know. It's like, I, we need, this story needs time to be yeah. for the truth to come out. There's no conclusive evidence either way, really. We don't know for sure if it's intentional or not. It seems like that's the case, but to make a statement and say that it is would be incorrect. So I totally agree with that. But it is interesting, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Oh, it's very interesting. Um, the other things that have happened lately, other updates are there, there's new firmware, which I think wasn't that exciting, um, no. relatively small, but they did officially announce that C log three would be coming to both the one DX three and to the R five. So that's one of those things that I was saying was really important to eventually happen. So I'm glad to see that it is. That update actually reminded me of the one DX Mark three. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that camera actually doesn't overheat. Like yeah, if you want still an amazing camera. Yeah, if you want something that has the Canon look, that's got the amazing autofocus, uh maybe we should be reconsidering that camera too. I mean, <laughs> it's uh I don't know. My I, problem with that camera is always the this the physical yeah. shape of it. I just I dislike that I in principle for for shooting with, but feature-wise and quality-wise, it's it's pretty great. I wish I had a little uh, a oh. little flip screen on it. That'd be great, but the other feature uh, was lower bit rates. So that is a great one. And I think including in raw or yeah. So raw 6k, is it raw 6k? Yes, it has to be that there will be a lower bit rate mode. That was one of the things they said would be coming. It's not in the, the it's not the firmware update that just came out. This is the announcing that is coming and in the C-Log future three. Yeah. Yeah. So Canon both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Having expanded a dynamic range from one of the better log formats. Still not C-Log2, which is really what I was hoping we'd hear. Um, but that's great. And then also, the file sizes are stupid big. It's it's unreasonable how big they are. <laughs> like, yeah. looking at the, um, the Blackmagic 12K, which only shoots 12K raw. I think there's, uh, I don't know, maybe there's some other things on it. But anyway, when you're shooting raw, you can only shoot 12K. Those files are much smaller, like, significantly smaller than really? the 8K raw out of the wow. Canon. Yeah, way smaller. Which is like it, the, the format Canon goes with on their big... Same with 4K on my 5D. Uh, the file size is stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah, they just yeah. They don't worry about it. They're just like, oh, sure, we'll just make it as big as possible. Who Are cares? you talking about your uh, um, your 5D Mark IV with the motion JPEG codec? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had, I had I, yeah, the I th- 1DC for years. That's what I shot on, and it had the same codec. I had to convert everything to ProRes just to use it. Yeah, I just don't use it. It was impo- It was stupid. Like I, 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 or sorry, I didn't use it in 4K. I only shot 1080 on it because it was just crazy. Like it was way too much. It was impossible. Yeah, I think honestly, I, I did a bunch of research um, on Red recently because I'm going to be doing a interview after this interview with uh, Ted Sim, my co-host with Indie Mogul, about the history of Red. And um, interestingly, Red actually owns a lot of the really important patents on raw video um and to this day they still have been able to maintain that and apple actually has to pay a licensing fee to red to use prores raw which has become uh pretty well known with the atomos recorders and um all sorts of different cameras but black magic got around this by creating their own raw codec with b-raw and i would assume that canon also did the same with their own raw codec the problem with that is red's compression is so good that you can actually shoot raw 8k on on a cam- on a red camera and like you're saying i mean the file sizes are just a fraction of what you're you're going to get on the r5 with the with the raw 
Um, obviously, the image quality is going to be great, but I've heard what's like a 256 gig card gives you like what eight minutes of raw or something like yeah it's ridiculous well and frustratingly it's still going to be less dynamic range like the files are bigger but <laughs> yeah. they they won't look better in any way than yeah the for that file size like you are you are gaining nothing you know you're just getting you're using up your memory cards faster so i'm really like i've seen a couple of photographers um get their r5s and they seem to really love it but it's almost like if I see anybody with an R5, it's like, and they're serious about it, and they're actually using it as a video tool, I'm like, how? Why? I, I'm really thinking about doing a you know photography only review of the R5 at some point because I don't know these these cameras really do look perfect for photography. Uh, you know, so there, there are a lot of distractions for photographers if they look up reviews right now because of the video features, but. Um, they really fixed all the most important things. Like I, I really like what they're That's doing. That's great. So, um, yeah, I think it's if you are a photographer, don't worry about it. These cameras are amazing in pretty much every way. Like they, I don't see any problems. It's like everything we hoped for. The problem is Canon marketed it as an 8K capable video camera, <laughs> and here we are. So. That's the main problem. There's one of my response, uh, a comment that uh, stuck in the back of my head in one of my R6 videos is they were like, uh, the problem isn't Canon. The problem is all these YouTubers complaining about the video features. So just for fun, I just Googled <laughs> Canon R6 and the official Canon website, the first line of text in Google before I even click through, you know, is like 8K video. It's the headline feature from Canon. They are pushing this. The R5. Yeah, yeah, but well, that was the that was about the R six, but uh, for both the R six does eight K too. No, no, sorry. Uh, I, yeah, then I said it wrong. Uh, but it meant it put anyway. It's pushing the video features. Yeah, in the very exactly. top headline of it. Like this is coming from Canon. It's not just yeah. YouTubers. And Sony is over here like <laughs> twiddling their thumbs. Like <laughs> we got something that actually works. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> over here. Yeah, there's not. I got nothing to complain about with Sony. So. I don't know. Maybe maybe that'll be the that'll be how we end the show. Is like, how do I decide between all these cameras? Because uh, we still got to talk about that red <laughs> too. Um, but there, there's one more update I want to hit bef- before that, and that is uh, there's a new update to Final Cut Pro. Um, and yes, it is. It's got some pretty nice stuff in it. Uh, one thing is that there is now metal optimization for. This is like a different show right now. We're just doing like all the video news in the world, which is that's fine. I don't know. I guess. <laughs> well, what this sorry. Is. I think it's my. I think it's my fault, Tyler. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm really into like. It, there's a lot. It's really interesting. Okay, we'll do this one really quick because it's very newsy. It's just like a. It's just like a point update for Final Cut. Yeah, it's it's still not September yet, so we don't have phones yet. Right. So we're we're almost there. So we got to get all this out before the phones come out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so one of the things, yeah, metal optimization. So when you're transcoding RAW, uh, it's they were listing it as either ProRes RAW or R3D Red RAW files. It will be up yeah. to three times faster on a MacBook Pro with the same hardware just because it uses metal optimization. So that's amazing. I wonder if that's going to also carry over to the afterburner card. Did they mention anything about the afterburner? Yes, they said for the Mac Pro it would be two times faster. Um, they didn't mention yeah. the afterburner in it. Uh, they just said the Mac Pro. I'm curious to see how Apple utilizes that afterburner card. As a Final Cut editor, that's really just interesting to me. I don't own one. I've got a Max Out 16-inch, which I've really loved using. Um, so this, this new upgrade, upgrade update is going to be great for me. Um, one of the things that stood out as well with this new update to final cut is 
the implementation of having ISO and white balance control, I think, oh, yes. in uh, Perez yes. Raw. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Can you do white balance as well? Yeah, yeah. I think they're all there. It's got all the basics now. Um, but I think not in Canon yeah. Raw Lite, which is my Raw, so poor me. Yeah. And does Canon do ProRes Raw out of like the C200? Are they ever going to do that, you think? Or I, No. I, d- I feel like because yeah, they, they, they like they like their thing. They did th- they put all this work into Canon Raw Lite, yeah. so they want to show it off. They want to use it. But I would much rather make sense. Yeah, I'd rather be ProRes if it could be, but I, I don't think they're going to do it. Um, and unfortunately, that means they're behind in support. So I still need to go through DaVinci Resolve to do all of my sort of tr- uh, not tra- well, yeah, transcoding and transform. I do the like um, log transform in uh, Resolve as well. So this episode of the Stallman Podcast is brought to you by the Intrazone by Microsoft SharePoint. We all know the feeling of finding a great new podcast. I know I'm always on the lookout for them. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, the Intrazone is a biweekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related tech can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and in the field so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic of the week, guest perspectives, FAQs of the week, and upcoming events. And just so you know what to expect, I want to tell you about some of the topics that you might be interested in that were on some previous episodes. They've discussed working from home, which I know is relevant to some of you. Also, figuring out intelligent intranet for your organization. And they did an episode talking about API and teamwork too, which you should give a try. One of the recent episodes was an interview with a cloud developer. And I just got to say, it's so great when huge companies like Microsoft use podcasts to create this direct relationship with the people that depend on their products and use them most so that you don't feel that disconnection that can come from, you know, big faceless companies. You're hearing directly from people that know what's going on and use the product extensively. So go and listen to a show now. Just search for IntraZone wherever you get your podcast. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, or just click the link in the show notes. So go and check it out. Our thanks to the IntraZone from Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show. <laughs> okay, the other very important thing about the Final Cut update, proxies have been massively updated. Yes. And this really matters because before there was only one proxy setting. You just say generate proxies and it would make like, pretty big files. They're like ProRes LT and only half of whatever resolution you're shooting at. So if you're shooting 4K, it's still making 1080 proxy files, which are not yeah. in, in ProRes LT. They're not that small. Um, you know, for, mm. you can't like just zip them up and, and shoot them over to somebody easily, which you can do if you change the format to, you know, MP4s or H.264 and make them 720, which sometimes that's or for me a lot of the time. That's the workflow I need because I'm sending the files quickly. Like I need this to happen right away. Uh, so the, so now you can set the resolution to pretty much anything. I think 12 percent was the lowest size, which is tiny. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And yeah. choose different file formats. I mean, we're we're entering the world of 12K video now, so that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so it will be very <laughs> necessary. And I mean, a lot of us edit on our laptops. And even with your, you know, maxed out or yeah. your very nice 16-inch MacBook Pro, you know, it's it's going to struggle eventually. Do you do proxy workflows on it now? or I don't. Um, when I started working here at IndieMogul about two weeks ago, I came to find out that they operate a full proxy workflow here. Um, they ingest all of their footage and have a dedicated machine that as we're just going about our business, it's 
constantly making proxies of everything. Um, and then all the editors that edit off of that, that's just to speed everything up with our server and what we have here. Also, um, the editors are working on 2015 MacBook Pros with Adobe Premiere. So um, it's been a necessity for them to, to work in a proxy workflow. So hopefully we will start to uh, upgrade those machines and we'll be able to crank out a little bit faster. I used to do only proxy because I edited for about two years on a MacBook Air as a wow, freelancer. Yeah. I kind of, I don't know why I was, I forced myself to do that, but I downgraded from a MacBook Pro to a MacBook Air just because I wanted the smaller size and the better battery life. Mm-hmm. And because I was on Final Cut and most of the time I was editing, editing in because 1080p, I could, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have to convert my DSLR footage. I was just editing native you know, in Final Cut on a MacBook Air for years. Um, and then I, I was working with my 1DC full-time as a freelancer uh, on my MacBook Air. I just would convert everything to proxy overnight and then I'd be able to crank out the edit. You know, it, it was a fine workflow. It's just not conducive for a YouTuber lifestyle at all. So now I kind of need the most maximum whatever so that I could just dump it in, go native and just export. I don't, I don't do proxies anymore just for speed purposes. Yeah. But. You need to be in a certain situation to make proxies work. It's not viable for, for everyone for sure. Yeah. But this is great. I'm, I'm glad that they've implemented this because, um, there's a lot of editing houses, post-production houses that, that need a better proxy solution than just a check mark. Um, so this mm-hmm. is great. And All it's right. also, I guess, creating the, the footsteps towards Apple Silicon as well. I would imagine there's some under-the-hood stuff going on that maybe we are not aware of. Yeah, it this. absolutely is. Everything they've been doing around Final Cut, and I've mentioned a few times, like getting rid of DNX HD support, um, or all the DNX formats and many of the other big formats. That's totally just so they can do Apple Silicon. So let's Pretty get exciting. to let's get to the red kimono because uh, that's the most exciting sure. thing. So I look, do. Can I can I say up front? Yeah. I got a lot of comments from people who watch my video that said I that that said that it sounded like I said red kimono <laughs> like the outfit, you know. So I want to just clarify. I <laughs> promise. Isn't. I promise I said Komodo. I'm going to watch it again. I said it so f- I said it so f- quickly and so Komodo. fast that it just kind of rolled off the it's tongue. Soft D. The red Komodo, red Komodo. It was a soft D. So um I am aware it is a red Komodo, but I guess I should have worn a kimono and it would have been a little bit more That's entertaining. Right. I, so. I, the amount of times I misspeak or have typos in videos, um I get called on out too. <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah. Um but yeah, okay. here we are, red Komodo. So this red Komodo. Um it's it's pretty great. Okay, yeah. So let's start by just uh, let's talk about what it is a little bit, what what we like about it, and then at the end, I want to. I'm really thinking about getting this camera, and I don't know. Yeah, if it's me too. A terrible <laughs> idea. So okay, we'll get we'll get to that at the end. Um, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Rekomoto is a 6K resolution box that can fit in this in the palm of your hands it's very small and compact for red it's got a global shutter sensor inside of it which is a first from red as well in fact it's one of the few global shutter cameras right now on the market at all um there was a trend with some of the earlier cinema cameras to have global shutters the f35 from sony had one i think the f55 from sony had one black magic made a version of it um the Arri alexa Honestly, uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Ari Alexa does not have a global shutter. Rolling. So um, all these, like every movie we're seeing right now is rolling shutter. Exactly. So 
this is um, this is really important. Now the 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 millisecond you know refresh time on an Alexa is really good. It's like three milliseconds, which mm. virtually is global for you know. But when you're doing VFX work, you're doing a lot of whipping and panning and stuff. Uh, VFX artists do not want to deal with rolling shutter because essentially what happens when you have a rolling shutter issue and the camera's whipping back and forth, well, the the CGI and the the computer graphics they actually have to fake rolling shutter in their animations to match the camera's uh, issues. Well, so by simply having a global shutter, that solves that issue. That that will actually help a lot of people's workflow in Hollywood when it comes to uh, CGI and things like that. So uh, using this type of camera for crash cams is what Red is kind of promoting this as. Mm-hmm. This is the perfect crash cam for Hollywood. It's a perfect gimbal op uh, shoulder cam kind of setup. That's what they're marketing it as. But as you said in your video and as I've come to find out in my review, I feel like this is actually a great camera for content creators. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if you want to go from there. but Yeah, I, I mean, I was saying, and I think this is true, this is going to be the next round of what the Alexa mini turned out to be because nobody thought the Alexa, like the Alexa mini was supposed to be that version of the Alexa. It's like, Oh yeah, this is just what we'll put on gimbals and it'll be easier to sort of tear down if you need more portable work or just stick it on a drone or it's just, it's the mini, it's the small one for specific situations. They did not expect this to be what everyone uses for everything. And the mini (laughs) is more than twice the size of the red Komodo it's it's massive in comparison it's it's way bigger and way 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 more yeah. expensive too um way more expensive yeah i think a lens mount cost as yeah. much as this camera <laughs> yeah no totally so. so now we have like this 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 is why this is an important camera is all of a sudden something is in like the prosumer price range but is really what top hollywood films are being shot on. I mean, there are still m- many more movies that are shot on Alexa than on Red, but not yeah. not so much because Red is bad. It's it's more of a preference. Yeah, it's like different film stocks yeah. back in the day. They each have their own characteristics, you know, to each other. So. But you could fit this into any like the you know the things you just pick up and shoot with this. Uh, you know, your lens won't be as nice, but other than that, you know, if you're shoot, let's say you're shooting on a, a really clean Sigma, you know, Sigma thirty five one four. That could fit in. That'd be great VFX footage that totally. could be used for anything because it's a spherical lens, so it's going to be really easy for artists to work with, and it's going to be crazy sharp, and you're going to just have no problems with it. Um, and I want. But to you s- can also put a PL lens on it too if you yeah, really wanted to. No, totally. That's what. Uh, so Frank, my friend that's in the video, whose camera it is, um, he's mostly got PL, so uh, he hasn't picked up that that mount yet, but he got all the adapters, so we were playing with the Canon one, and what I really liked was the Leica adapter, because those lenses mm. feel so good on there. We went to the Leica store after to just try a few Like a on. Leica M? Yeah, lens? exactly, the Leica M lenses Ooh, that are yeah, very those are tiny small, and perfect. And they yeah. have a very short flange distance, so the Leica M adapter is about half the size of the Canon one. It's it's very small. And then the lenses are less than half the size of the Canon lenses <laughs> and they're better. So it's amazing. They are. Yeah. Leica engineering. Ugh, I love it. Both my Leicas were stolen in the robbery. Oh I'm so God. pissed. Oh, I'm so I had sorry. an M3. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's really quite impressive what Red has done here. I've been waiting for this camera ever since Jared kind of started teasing everybody with it. Um, Now, before we get into the details here, I do want to say there's a lot of people that are a little confused with this who maybe aren't familiar with RED. 
th- yes, there's a Black Magic 6K that's like $2,000 and it it looks really good too. Um it's way cheaper, it's way more practical for most people. Um you've got other camera manufacturers out there as well doing things very similar like Zcam doing a small box, small form factor, which are great like to say good things about the red is not dissing these cheaper cameras. It's not saying bad things about these other cameras. <laughs> exactly. But th- a lot of people are not aware of this just because they're not in this world. And I'm not one of these people either. Now that I live here in LA and I'm around Hollywood, I'm starting to realize that red logo attached to the, the camera means a lot in Hollywood. Like it means way more than you would ever imagine. It truly does. So just having the reliability and the ecosystem that that Hollywood film studios are used to working with, with R3D post-production houses who've been working with R3D raw codecs for years now, it's going to implement perfectly into that. So that's why... You know, we say $6,000 is a cheap red. Well, $6,000 is not cheap for a camera. I mean, you can buy an M50 for $400 that, you know, can get you by, right? Like, it's not, you can't compare those two things. But in the Hollywood world, this is quite revolutionary. But I think what's really interesting is it's the perfect, like, MKBHD camera, like, for the aspiring tech high-end YouTuber audience too. It's going to it's gonna pull into that world as well, which is really exciting, I think. I think a lot of YouTubers are, are going to buy this, which, I mean, you know, I, th- I think there are some other cameras that make more sense for just YouTube. Like, there's so many good options right now. I mean, you know, the C300 oh, yeah. Mark III and the C500 and the, uh, not, uh, sorry, what's the Sony, the uh, 9X? The, F- the FX9. FX9. Or the FX, or is it FX7? No, that was it, that was it, FX9. But, um, yeah, and then obviously you got the hybrids like the EOS R yeah. and the A7 III and the A7S III. So, where those cameras still exist, they're still amazing cameras. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, well, and, okay, wait. I still wanted to circle back because I feel like when we were talking about global shutter, there was still a little more to say about it. Um, first of all, just to define rolling shutter for the the few people that may not know, I mean, most cameras operate in a way that the sensor reads out pixels in a sequence, you know, I, I don't know. I'm assuming it's top to bottom, left to right, or something like that, where each pixel is read after the yeah, other it's one. top to bottom. So yeah. that there is a tiny delay as everything is, is read out. And that's why you'll see warping from one side to the other of the frame as you move the camera quickly. Um, and so the, the thing that global shutter means is that it returns us to the days of shooting on film, shoot, shooting films on film, because in that case, it, it's always a global shutter. The whole image is, is, you know, being exposed as the shutter like moves past it. So you would never have that, that distortion. Um, so, you know, in, in a way it's like, we just finally got back to the place we were in terms of, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but and, and it's funny cause it's actually, they, it's always referred to as a global shutter, but which I assume is because that, you know, in a film context, it is the shutter that is important, but it's actually, a globe it's like a global sensor it's the sensor that is the different thing right yes yeah correct yeah I mean, it's, it's not basically shutter, every frame different. every frame of video is being captured entirely within that that split second that the the image is exposed on the sensor whereas on a rolling shutter sensor it's only millisecond delay it's very you cannot see it by the naked eye but once you start moving the camera quickly if you ever if you've ever shot iPhone video out of your window in a driving you know moving vehicle you can see how you know if there's like a telephone pole the bottom of it is <laughs> further along slanted. the image than the top it's totally slanted 
Um, again, these are things that we've kind of gotten used to over the years because we see it so much. We see it in our iPhone footage. We, we even see it in movies and television. Those crazy warped but, propeller. Like you sit in a prop plane and look out the window and watch the yes. propeller spin. It like it looks insane. <laughs> it looks insane. But this is going to be a huge – like I think it's one of the things people are really overlooking about this camera when they start comparing it to Blackmagic and other companies. It's like this global sensor is worth – a little bit extra like I would pay more to have it because it has what you would call a motion cadence to the image and a feel a cinematic feel to the movement of the camera you can actually hand hold the camera and even though you're being a little shaky with it it just has a good feel to it for some reason and that's because there's no warping or weird jello effects going on with it it's really amazing and like you mentioned in your video adding post stabilization to it can help Obviously, uh, motion blur will will still be there. So if you're shooting at 180 degrees shutter angle um, and you whip the camera around a little bit and you stabilize it, any blur in the image will still be there. So it's recommended if you're going to do stabilization and post to crank your shutter speed up so that your image is a little sharper. Um, so I'm getting into the weeds there. But um, overall... This global shutter is awesome. I had one example where I was just stabilizing hand, like normal handheld footage, and that looked basically perfect. Uh, and then I also did one where I intentionally shook the camera and vibrated it, and that doesn't yeah. that looks bad because you can see the motion blur. Like it's it the image is still, but suddenly everything's blurry for a second. Um, so you you know you, you couldn't work with that, but uh, it was it was great on the handheld stuff because I don't stabilize anything from the Canons that I shoot with ever it's too warpy like it never works it <laughs> always looks bad so i never use it um so i was really glad to see that it, it looked pretty good on there and putting this thing on i wasn't uh, i didn't have enough time with it to put it on like a ronin for example a ronin s oh we did um but oh yeah how how did that look on a gimbal uh okay so i think we it would be nice if we had set it up a little differently and the the challenges of the setup uh, slowed us down a little so uh, okay. we had an external battery and the, the, probably our biggest issue was that the cable, like at the back of the camera, there's, um, a, I guess it's a P tap cable that is going down to an external battery that we had that, that would have been fine, except the cable would bump against the back of the Ronin. And we could have fixed that too, except that uh, the lens was a bit too heavy to balance it in that way. So either if we had had a lighter, actually really it's a lighter lens, that's what we need. Cause the camera just needed to be forward of what we were doing. And wait, what what lens did I'm trying to even remember what the lens? Or if was you were there. maybe you were on a bigger gimbal like a Movi Pro with oh, yeah, uh, with batteries on the camera itself. But I've seen the cable, these I've seen but... these mounted on the Ronin doing totally fine. So honestly, just get a smaller, a small short lens. I can't remember what was I what was on there. I just don't remember what our lens was. That I mean, day. a Tokina a Tokina eleven to sixteen would be perfect. Yeah, on there, for sure. Opinion. Or I mean, there's yeah. the Canon Pancakes, the Pancake Twenty Four, which is an EFS lens. It's like a hundred some odd dollars and would look great I, i'm definitely going to pick one of those up and then there's also the 17 to 55 canon 2.8 um which is also stabilized which is kind of nice but it's relatively light relatively inexpensive and and very sharp so there's a few options out yeah there. anyway so get one of the smaller lenses that was our biggest problem put some leica lenses on it no exactly <laughs> Uh, but then when it worked, which it, it, it did, it did work. We were able to get shots and stuff, which was just kind of bumping occasionally. Um, it, 
it was pretty amazing. We were using the iPhone as the monitor the whole day. So everything was wireless. There's no... Or, really? Yeah. Everything, wow. The monitoring was all wireless and it totally worked. Um, we, it would, we had a hard time... And we were testing autofocus quite a bit too. And it would often... It's sort of like it was mostly working. Like it would focus and then basically sort of stay on the on the subject but because i'm used to uh tracking autofocus i would forget yeah. that like the the ronin has to stay in exactly the same position and if that tracking point falls off your subject now it's not tracking and now it goes to the background um so that ruined a lot of shots and that you know we might have gotten used to that if we had a little more time but um you know i don't know it it's how did you find the autofocus anyway the autofocus uh, is really promising. It's a phase detect uh, autofocus system. So it's similar to what all the best autofocus cameras have. I mean, Sony has a phase detect. Canon is a variant of that with their dual pixel autofocus system. Um, basically, it's not Panasonic. So that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> and it's it's not bad. I mean, I did some tests with it here in the studio uh, with good lighting and within its limitations, like you said, it's not a tracking autofocus system. Um, you can't have continuous if the subject stays where the box is located. Um, it's good and it's in beta. So it'd be cool if they actually had tracking, like a face tracking. But Jared from Red has again said, like, this is very beta. We have zero experience with this. Bear with us. We're working on it. It is what it is. But you know, he's been really upfront about that. And even with that being said, I think it's a great first start for Red. I'm, I'm actually really impressed. A comment that was in Marquez's video that I heard echoed in my comments was that, um, you know, don't buy this camera for something that you want it to be in the future. But I'd actually yes. say that those those features, especially the, there's a lot of people that are thinking about that in terms of autofocus. The way the autofocus is, is still very useful though. You know, if you're doing a single person YouTube video, what it means is that you could just sit down for your talking head, use your iPhone, touch your face, and now it's you're in focus. Like as long as you're not moving a lot or coming in and out of frame, if you're just doing normal A-roll, I think you could trust it. I think it would work for a whole video from what I saw. Totally. And that's the only use case that I really have is just talking head in a fairly controlled environment. So um you know, you're not going to be able to rely on it on a gimbal with like a ton of moving subjects and, you know, shooting a wedding per se, but you know, you can still make it work. I mean, you and I got started in this world with no autofocus whatsoever. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you can always fall back on manual, <laughs> yep, but, totally. um, you know, the fact that it's there and that it is working, it's not doing the crazy pulsating effects that you see with a contrast-based autofocus system. It is performing like other phase-detect systems, uh, which is pretty impressive for what it is. I mean, there's no other cinema cameras that can do it other than the ones from Canon. Well, I guess the Sony now has it too, but I wouldn't really call those cinema. They put the emphasis on the smoothness, right? So that you, you wouldn't see the jerking. It's more important for the red to, to gently move in and out than it is to snap to anything quickly, which is just a preference uh, you know on a canon you can set that as an option um but as a default it it's a better default because it works more it's more useful more often um and i also wanted to touch on some 
of the things you were saying earlier about, you know, being in LA and seeing how much that red logo matters. Um, I also want, I want to make sure nobody walks away thinking of that as like, oh, so the marketing has, you know, turned all these people into sheep and now they're just obsessed <laughs> with the the logo of red. Um, and, you know, people see that in so many different ways. They see that with Apple, uh, you know, wherever they look, where there's something that's an expensive product, and a lot of people buy it. They're like, oh, well, the marketing got to them. They are brainwashed. Um, and Tesla is like Yeah, that totally. Too. You know what? It, well, but it, my examples especially apply, though, to professional gear that is like is being used on a job. Um, having something that is in an ecosystem that everybody else is using r- always means something. You know, like the the f- with Apple for example, I think it's frustrating to a lot of Android users to feel like they're marginalized. And I completely understand why that, you know, it would just be annoying to, to feel, you know, snobbery from, from Apple users that, um, it's like, Oh, you're not using the same thing as me. Um, of course that'd be really (laughs) annoying. Like I, I, I get it. But when you're in a working environment and I'm used to everyone else around me. Like, let's say we're on set. Everyone else has an iPhone and we can all airdrop each other photos. And we do all the time. It's like reference material from scouting days or makeup examples or, uh, you know, contracts or whatever. Like airdrop is used just like, it's very casual. It's like, yeah, we're all just shooting each other's stuff. And then somebody's like, oh, I don't have that. And it's like, oh, uh, okay, I'll throw it in Dropbox or I'll send you, you know, we figure it out. It's not a big deal. Yeah, sure. But when everybody's using the same thing, it just flows. So I would see that same thing with, um, photography as well. Like if you've got, uh, traditionally it's been, if you had a Canon or Nikon, now it's becoming Canon or a Sony, all your other friends share, have those lenses as well. And when you can, you know, either either borrow gear from people that you work with, or if you're on a set and there are multiple shooters and you're all using the same brand of stuff, um, or the client is just familiar with what you have, all of this stuff matters a lot. Like it, 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 it doesn't matter at every level. Um, so a great example is like a lot of the time, like event work, they're not going to care if you have a red, like in even most of our jobs actually don't, a few of our clients would care. Most of our clients are like, you know, as long as it looks good, whatever you think is best. But in certain worlds, it really, really does matter and not for stupid reasons. I, you couldn't have said it any better, really. It's all about the ecosystem. It's about the collaboration aspect of it. Uh, as a freelance DP, if you buy a, a camera like this Red Komodo, it might land you some jobs, you know, or, or rentals at, at the very least. Um, I have a friend in Nashville who uh, bought an Ari Alexa and he was able to essentially pay it off after about two years of just renting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you live, if you're fortunate enough to live in a, an industry town, um in your country, uh, then buying a tool like that can really go far. Or if you're in some sort of niche, you know, in my case, I was a wedding shooter for years. I would second shoot for several different guys in Nashville and they were all Canon for the most part. So I owned two Canon cameras, a bunch of lenses and I would show up and they'd be like, Hey, can I borrow your 35 and your 50? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And, and it works, you know, on their camera because it's the same camera. And so all this is is a huge deal. Reds are used all over the place in commercial uh, projects, uh, you know, on on TV shows and films. And um, the fact that this one's so small and lightweight is going to 
be amazing. It can pretty much replace a GoPro in, in some circumstances. I wouldn't be surprised to see this being used, um, you know, in future versions of uh, carpool karaoke, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, this is going to get used a lot. And for, for anybody that thinks that this red thing is snobbish, just keep in mind, Alexa users are snobbish about red cameras. Like, it's the same one step up that like on other kinds of sets, if you don't have an Alexa, you, you if you have a red instead, you're looked down on and you're like, mm, you know, maybe we need to rent for this project because red's not enough. So like there's levels to this. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. know, and, and, and again, it, even that stuff, that's not necessarily at all because the red can't produce the same image because I think it can. Like I really think the best reds and the best Alexas, they can match each other. They're both doing great. Um, it's more so about, you know, working environments and colorists being used to working in a certain way, things like that. So the color science, if we're on that topic of mm -hmm. the newest reds is incredible. I don't know if you have any experience with the older MX uh, sensors. No, I, I was involved in that world back when the original red Epic came out and got to shoot on a couple of those back in the old days when that first came out. Um, and goodness gracious, the, the dynamic range in the color has just gotten so phenomenal with their, they call it the IPP2 uh, color space. It's really great. Even in uh, kind of the baked in profile, if you want to call it that, uh, I think they call it the wide color DR or something like that. Um, I was actually using that in my video a lot where I'm not even touching the log. I just adjust my raw exposure in posts with the ISO and white balance. And then I just lock in this great color space that they've designed and it just looks great out of the camera. Um, the color science on this camera is really good. That's a lot of what I really loved about it is that to get the, the, the like the best colors to make it just look right and look like a movie all I had to do was kind of go through a few quick steps of the workflow, you know, just make sure that, um, you, you know, you're doing your grades before the transform, um, you're converting it to the right log numbers, which I kind of forget what, like log D310 and yeah. <laughs> uh, RGB wide gamut, something like that, uh, convert exactly. it to the right things that give you the maximum amount of uh, grading flexibility. And it just turns out, it just looks right. It looks great. And even with Canon, with the C200, Canon's LUTs look bad, like look wrong. <laughs> I can't use them. They're terrible. So I use Alexa LUTs. And then for some reason, that looks good. But why is that? Like, that's not how it should be at all, right? So <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it was really nice to have that simple of a workflow. And again, the, even though it's raw video, because R3D has been around for so long, all the NLEs support it so well. Mm. So Final Cut, Premiere, Resolve, Avid, if you're even on it, they all ingest the R3D really easily. Um, and even in a 6K timeline on this computer, I, I didn't have to convert to, pro, uh, to, or to proxy. I was able mm -hmm. to, to edit, you know, in the lower resolution mode, the, uh, what do you call it? The, um, you know, better performance mode. It worked fine. And uh it was a little jumpy here and there because it's it is pretty big files, um, but you know I had mixed results doing the raw um, in Final Cut on my seven older I have a twenty eighteen fifteen inch. Um, sometimes it was too much for it, and in the end, I actually I just don't have enough storage with me to hold on to the raw because and also you can't shoot in low quality mode so far. So I transcoded them to ProRes. 
um, like I did, I did what I do with my C200 of, you know, creating ProRes files and then worked from there. So you have to correct it first to make sure your white balance and your exposure are set correctly with the raw files and mm. then use those color, cor- like color corrected files, then add the transform to those and any color grading on top of that. So. Yeah, it's a it's a different workflow if you're not used to it for sure, but it's not too hard and there's a ton of documentation out there on it cuz red has been around for a, a long time now. So, in what way does this camera make sense to buy? Okay, like let's talk about us now. Let's get <laughs> into self-service of like why why we're yes. interested in these. Um <laughs> first of all, okay, I'll just throw out that I did end up talking to getting a hold of somebody at Red and I am on the waiting list. Um, Great. But I kind of think I might be on the waiting list for the waiting list. I don't know if I'm on the real waiting <laughs> list yet. Yeah. Um, and even that, it just means that they will, if a one of the pre-release, because I really want the white one. The white one's so cool. So uh, if, if if one of the stormtroopers becomes available, then um, I'll have an opportunity to buy it. But then, you know, of course, it'll be released to public after that anyway. But yeah, something something that's fun, by the way, if you're not familiar, Red did do some limited run colors with mm-hmm. uh with this camera and as of right now we've those are the only ones we've actually seen they are going to do an all black like standard camera camera and that's going to be the one that everybody's going to get but there was an uh, like a neon orange one a neon yellow a, i think a pink one or like a blue a baby blue and then a, a stormtrooper white is what they called this last one uh it's a lot of fun like it's cool to see like you don't see camera companies have fun with the products like this which is awesome i just forgot to say this i loved the construction that it's just a completely metal like hard metal box that i am sure you could just drop this from a couple of feet (laughs) i I really i'm sure you could this could like hit concrete and keep going i'm sure they imagine that that will happen on set i'm sure you know they designed that with that in mind um yeah it's and with that it is a a fairly hefty box but it's so small Mm -hmm. that um it comes in at only two pounds uh with nothing on it so it's still a very lightweight sturdy box and reminds me it really reminds me of shooting Hasselblad which is my favorite format to shoot with um okay so but does this make any sense for either of us you know for um especially you know single person you know one or two person teams uh not big crews so you don't have a lot of other people to help you operate or, or move gear around um the the you know let's look at the big missing things here if we're talking about either the uh r series from the canons and let's assume canon somehow fixes overheating like maybe they won't but let's just pretend that's not an issue <laughs> um, and then also compared to the a7s3 which um is it you know pretty great competitor and what Panasonic is doing, which I always forget that they're out there and I know that they're doing great stuff. Uh, and, and like, you know, needless to say, there are great things that these other companies are doing. Uh, and so is Blackmagic. And I'm forgetting to even mention that, God, there's so many cameras. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to compare it to the it's A7S3. <laughs> A7S3 is the best example because it is much more affordable. Like there's the biggest gap of like, you are giving up a lot. If you choose the red over the yeah, Sony, it's true. Um, let's list them real quick in our heads you're gonna lose great auto like you'll have mediocre autofocus instead of great autofocus uh you're gonna lose full frame you're gonna lose crazy low light really really yeah crazy low light you're still gonna get good low light just not crazy low light um and uh what's the other one i was just thinking of slow motion good slow motion there's not that many options 
You also lose the con- the kind of modern conveniences of, of newer cameras with USB-C charging, mm-hmm. uh, a simple HDMI output that is readily available. Uh, it's only SDI out on this camera, which is a great connector, but it's much more professional and it's not as ubiquitous as HDMI. Yeah, it really long battery life off of very small batteries. Like, and if, so in the red world, this battery life is amazing. It's you know, it really is actually. It's, yeah, it's like more than tw- than twice as good as, as previous reds, but um, compared to small cameras, it's terrible. So it depends how you frame it. You also lose, uh, you know, uh, an articulating screen like the one on the A7S III. It does have a screen built in, but it's on top, which makes it um, like a Hasselblad, which is kind of fun, but yeah, it's fun. It's hard to pull focus from it. Like I'm not sure how often it'll get used in, in real life, but I will say um, sm- there is a great solution to that. Small HD makes a really solid focus monitor that has USB uh plug-in or whatever to the camera. They'll actually enable touch focus and, and you can actually touch the small HD and control the red, which is really yeah. cool. I think that is, that is something you just should buy with it. Like that is part of the price when you price out this red, that small HD should be part of your package. It just totally makes sense. We're trying to use it with the Cine 7. So that's a seven inch monitor and it felt way too big. Like this, this should have a five inch monitor on it or, or an iPhone. You can totally mount an iPhone on top of this and just fully operate with an iPhone. It worked. It's amazing. Well, you know, you know, <laughs> you say that, but there was actually a plan in place from red it was called the hydrogen um that, <laughs> right yeah okay that's what this was that was be. actually initially what the plan was to use the hydrogen with this camera but that didn't mm. work out so well right. well <laughs> hey the iphone works too so <laughs> yeah exactly um and i wouldn't if you're going to buy this i wouldn't plan to make that you, you have to have a real monitor as well uh don't trust wireless for everything like wireless is always flakier so ha- you know have a real backup mm-hmm. plan Did you, um, was it ever flaky can't. for you though like I, I never had any dropouts it seemed um, to be really amazing the only dropouts were with a little bit of distance uh, okay which doesn't take much like six feet it would start to be okay it's a little choppy sometimes sure. um, but, but it, cl- if, close up it was never it was never close like within three or four feet yeah if i were to put a phone mount on top of my camera and just leave it exactly. there i mean yeah that's pretty crazy yeah and you really could do a lot with it but what else are you giving up? Uh, EVF. There's no built-in EVF. Okay, uh, right, weather yeah. sealing. There's no weather mm. sealing on this type of camera. There's right. holes all over the place, but that also right. allows it to cool properly without having mm. overheating. Um, there's no dual card slot of any kind. Yeah, right. You don't have um, redundancy. Bigger files. Like there's no there's no super compressed formats. And you can't take. I mean, Red always kind of tries to say that it's a photography camera. I think there are some companies that I think Vogue actually uses red to take images of models where they just have a sequence of raw video right. that they pull but stills from, but it's not a, it's not a stills camera. There's no IBIS mm-hmm. either. No, no stabilization of any kind. Um, That's a on big the one. Sensor. I forgot to say that, but, um, okay. Okay. You've done a great job of talking me out of it. So, uh, forget it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stop thinking about this red, but th- no other cinema camera really has those things either. Uh, the closest thing would be what we mentioned earlier from Sony, the FX9 or the Canon C300 or C500, which have really kind of blended those worlds together in the cinema video production side with the things that, you know, these companies have learned with their hybrid cameras, um, like having good and autofocus, for example. They but, also have internal ND. 
Yeah, and they have internal ND, which is huge. But you can huge, get that huge. great VND adapter yes. thing that's yeah. RF to EF. Um, I'm not a huge fan of VND, and I think a lot of cinematographers aren't either. There's always, no matter what you do, there's always a slight image uh, degradation when you use uh, polar, two polarizers together. It just pulls the reflections out of people's skin tones, which I do not like. So I wish Canon would make some straight ND for that adapter. Yeah, they still haven't, there, but there are some higher end or well, higher end, I don't know, more expensive uh, versions that are going to be just drop-in filters. I don't, I don't know what the plan is for EF adapters. I know the PL one is coming right away, where you can just drop in single uh, NDs. That's cool. From Kipper really cool. um, yeah, they're also they're making the PL adapter that my that Frank was getting, uh, so he's telling me all about it, and it looks great. Like that would be the professional solution to it. Um, we just got to see that for EF, and it's not out yet. So, uh, okay, but I mean, these are all great reasons not to get it. So, why are we <laughs> why are we why are we talking about this again? <laughs> uh, well, it comes down to image quality, man. Like I, I'm I'm just sorry. I when I pulled that image into my computer and in my video you can actually see a clear example of my a roll of me talking uh for the majority of the shot is is like a standard mirrorless camera it looks good it's 4k 10 bit you know it does the job and then it you there's like a cut you know where you see the red and it's literally the exact same set same lighting here in the indie mogul set and the differences couldn't be more jarring. Like when when it cuts to the red and I didn't do anything special at all. I just used all the baked in like red profiles. It just has a cinematic power to the image that is, uh, it's hard to put to words. It's, it's a, it's just a feeling, I guess there's a mojo to the image quality with the pairing of that global shutter and the red color science. It's just, it's just really good. I'm sorry. Yeah, I found even just monitoring it in the camera while we were shooting, like Anya commented while we were sitting in a restaurant looking and she's like, why does this look like, what's making it look like a movie right now? Is it the lens or is it the camera? And I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's just the, the camera just has that look that we've gotten used to as filmic and, and cinematic. So right away, yeah, it looks, it looks amazing. You, you can get that out of other cameras too. Like it's not that hard, but it was very refreshing to have it just be so easy and look so amazing um but so a, a lot of that thing of like why why would why would i be interested in a camera like this then that has all these you know a pretty long list of limitations we just talked about um it would be really nice to have something where the yeah the image quality just isn't making any more compromises because i've always been in a situation where i'm like oh yeah you know my, my c200's really great um except the shadow's can get really noisy if you do the wrong thing when you're exposing it. The magenta's uh, clip if, in certain situations, and so do the blues. And you can't use Canon's LUTs to transform it because they look crazy. So you have to use this weird workaround of using another yeah. brand's <laughs> transform LUTs. And like, there's just this long list of like, oh yeah, oh, and I can't preview the color that it's recording while I'm shooting. I'm sure I mentioned on this show a few times, but like it's not outputting, it's not previewing C log two. So the C 200 in a lot of ways, it was like, it was like an amateur <laughs> cine camera. Yeah. Like it didn't have enough of the pro. It had a bunch of pro features and just left out a bunch. So I was yeah. always kind of like crippled with it. Um, and you know, all these cameras are getting better and better, but this sort of fast tracks you to like, look, forget about all of that. You're, you can stop thinking about your sensor. Your sensor is taken care of. 
Now it's how you light and it's your lensing and it's your choices. And you can, you can, it's a future proof camera. camera. If, if you buy it which, at, at the level that you're at right now, yeah. you're going to have it for a decade or more. I mean, it, you can just work around the, the camera at that point. Cause you've arrived at that point where just straight out of the box, it's just so cinematic and, and there's no compromise. Like you said, the only compromise would be with frame rates. You have, uh, a little bit of limitation there. The maximum you can do in 6K is 40 frames per second. Once you start going into 4K, 2K, uh, the way that RED does things is they crop in on the sensor. So um, that's the only, if you want to call it compromise, you're going to have. But if you're familiar with, yeah. It is a compromise. <laughs> but I'm coming from experience shooting on the Scarlet, the the RED uh, Epic, the RED One, the Raven. All of those cameras do this already. So I think a lot of people who are used to shooting on reds, they're familiar with this. Like this is how red does things. And the reason they do it that way is because there's no compromise on the image quality. It's actually cropping in on the sensor at that resolution. So it's a one-to-one crop of the sensor in 4K and 2K and and, and et cetera. That way they're not having to do any line skipping or, or, you know, throw away um, some detail and information. I wish that there was a, a switch that I could push to switch it to do maybe a line skip version for the 6K 120. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah I, I would take it. Yeah, especially for 60 frames per second. Like th- that will be frustrating. I'll have to, you know, I, I feel like what you would still end up doing as the kind of shooters that we are, like let's say wedding shooter or, you know, you're shooting something that's like pretty run and gun and you're still going to, need to do things yourself and sometimes you have to cut a few corners is you know find a cheaper camera that does some decent 60 yeah. or, or 120 um and, and that becomes your slow motion camera and red has a solution sucks, to this but. they're gonna say hey look we sell other cameras they're called the epic and the dsmc2 uh you know system they're thirty thousand dollars you mm-hmm. can shoot 6k 120 on those you know <laughs> so um You know, it is what it is. Uh, For YouTuber, though, um, I think you can work around that. I've been working around crops and all sorts of things like that for years. Um, For the most part, I do shoot 24. Yeah. Do do you shoot slow motion? I do. Yeah. I mean, with the, uh, I'm just referring to the crops I was dealing with with uh, the EOS R uh, when I was shooting on that primarily. I would mm. constantly be switching between right. full frame and the 4K crop, uh, you know. And with the Nikon Z6, I was kind of messing around with that as well. Um, Panasonic even has little crops here and there. Um, but it's like with things like so. Wait, actually, let me do the math on this in my head. Uh, no, so I guess actually the R. Here's a way to think about it. If you're used to shooting the R, which I'm shooting this right now for the video version. Um, it crops to 1.7 or almost 1.8, I believe. Uh, that's probably getting close to what the 60 frames yeah. per second is cropping in. It is, yeah. On and once you get down to the 2K 120 mode, I've seen people talk about how you can actually use uh, Super 16 lenses on a PL lens to do that because you're getting into that realm. Hmm, yeah, so <laughs> you, you can mount Super 16 lenses, I, th- I believe, on it. I. I need to do my own tests, but it's like a 2x crop or something. Right. And you yeah, that's the problem that I found when I was going down to 2K. Even though they are doing a one-to-one on the sensor, 
that doesn't mean that there's like less noise because they're doing that. Like it, the noise is more prevalent when you go down to the lower resolutions. Um, man, we're kind of underselling it at this point, aren't we, Tyler? Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we really brought it down. I mean, we were all hyped up at the beginning. It should have, should have ended this yeah. in the opposite direction. Um, but no, no, I mean, these are very real concerns. Like, I, you know, I don't think the, the, our goal is yeah, yeah. a camera, um, you know, or, or, or well, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah maybe it is but uh because you know okay other things i do like i do want to say uh rf mount was a stroke of genius that i didn't realize until i was using it because of how many things it means you can adapt to it um it really means you can put like any lens on there which i hadn't thought about i was like well i don't even have any rf lenses or very few why do i care the point is is mirrorless short flange lenses like that can easily be changed into virtually anything. Um, so, you know, it either, it was either going to be Canon, Sony, or the M system, which Canon was the obvious choice. So now this, this is my Um, own kind of conspiracy theory here. There's an RF mount on the camera. There's Canon batteries on the back. And when you take the R5 sensor and crop out a 6K resolution of it, it's the exact same megapixels as an R5. Is this a Canon collaboration hmm. thing going and? on here with Red and <laughs> Canon? I don't know. Right. I can't, I, it's a conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, they definitely <laughs> talked. They had to talk. They had to, they had to talk to get yeah, the RF. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's conversations. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, it's the same sensor or anything. I'm not saying that by any means. But um, it is interesting that they're going with a lot of Canon stuff. The, the batteries on the back are using the old C300 batteries, not the new. I was I was mistaken. I thought it was going to be like the C500, C200 batteries. It's actually the original C100 and the C300 Wait, batteries what? on the back. Oh, I didn't check that. So it's not. Not, not the ones that you have. Ones. That's really weird. No. So it's not the ones I have. You're going to have to buy oh, the old weird. C300 batteries. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't make any sense at all. But <laughs> Maybe it's a licensing <laughs> thing or um, they're trying to keep the cost down because obviously the newer batteries are more expensive. I don't know. But because of that reason, they're sold out everywhere. Like everybody that's buying this camera is buying up all the old C300 batteries. I heard that Red actually bought like a ton of them from Canon. So that might be why they're out of stock everywhere. Cause I think they're going to be bundling them with the camera when they start shipping production versions of it. But right. you can actually charge the batteries through the camera, which right. is cool. You don't have to have a, a charger of any kind. Um, uh, you can, you can also oh, hot swap really them cool. as well. So if one is dead, the other one is being, is powering it. You can just take the one that's dead off while you're recording and put a new one on. So you can, in theory, constantly be powering the, the camera over battery, which is great. Uh, really well designed there. Um, can I, I'll, I'll add one more thing to, to try to finish on a high note as well that, um, this, this means more than it'll sound like, but it feels really, really good to shoot on. It, it feels amazing in your hand. The, the usability, the design is very smart. It feels like a camera that's going to last you as, as long as you want to keep shooting with it. And it's, I, th- I think it's actually pretty attractive. Like it's a, it's nicely designed. It's very simple, but it's relatively beautiful. And, you know, I'm really kind of sick of the fact that all my Canons and Sony's 
are just ugly. <laughs> like there's nothing there's nothing beautiful about that. Like yeah. there's nothing interesting. Like they so just Fuji does blobs, so well. I know? love the Fuji um, uh, design. Yes, mm-hmm. completely. And same thing. I, I feel that with Fuji too. And I'm shooting with him. Like this just feels great. So it's that difference between shooting with Sony and Canon that is so hard to explain. Often, it's also great to shoot with the Canon compared to a Sony. And Sony users are always like, "What are you talking about?" Like, yeah, okay, the menus aren't great, but um, you can customize all the buttons. I'm like, you <laughs> don't understand. Like, you don't have to custom. You shouldn't need to customize the buttons. Like, that is only a sign of non-design and, and lack of thought here's a, from the here's the thing man there a lot so. of people lose sight of this when we get into the tech specs photography and filmmaking is an art it's an art form and the tool that we use can inspire us to create and, and inspire us to create things that we weren't even thinking of of creating because of the tool itself right when we started this conversation you mentioned it reminded you of a Hasselblad and I've heard Jared say the same thing about it. The fact that the screen is on top, you can just get a nice little side handle and potentially even like a little uh, hood that can go over your screen so that you can kind of just look down like you would an old Hasselblad. It creates a, a style and a way of shooting that is reminiscent of that older style. And, and it's so unique that there's no cameras like it other than the uh, digital bolex which i used to shoot on um i i only mention that because i shot a lot of projects with that camera it had a top mounted screen just like the komodo it was a global shutter just like the red komodo and it had that same motion cadence that i really love so the komodo is really a combination of all the things that. that I personally, as a filmmaker, am inspired by. And uh, I think Leica and Hasselblad mm-hmm. get the same kind of respect in the photography world as just being inspiring tools made by creators. And that's what I feel exactly, yeah. when I hold and use the red is it's inspiring. And um, you can't really put that on paper. And it definitely sounds pretentious when I say it out loud. But there is some truth to that, I think. Yeah, it's real. Um, and it, it's similar. It reminds me of the feeling of shooting film. Uh, you know, I'm really used to shooting digital. I'm never going back to film for, for work, but when you take the photos first using most film cameras, they physically feel better in the hand. And then the way that negatives come out as they're being processed, like just the, the, the depth of color and luminance information that is inside of a negative feels great to 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 play with afterwards like it's really there's a lot of substance to it um and you get it when you get a similar feeling out of digital footage um that yeah again it like it inspires the image i feel more inspired and excited shooting on my c200 than on the r and again i felt much more inspired shooting on the komodo than on the c200 so and there's also um, there's real people behind this that you can actually talk to on forums i mean the the red engineers and jared himself are very active on uh, Red user forums and on Instagram. Uh, I think that's something that's really interesting for a company to have such a, a public kind of conversation with their users that you just don't see anywhere else. I'm I'm also a guitar player, and a lot of people uh, might not know that about myself, but John Mayer just did a, a whole new design guitar with Paul Reed Smith, which is a pretty well-known uh, guitar Ooh. brand. He was working with Fender and I saw an interview with him and, and they said, why did you switch from Fender who you've been using Stratocasters for years? Why would you switch to Paul Reed Smith? He said, I switched to Paul Reed Smith because the guy whose name is on the guitar, I can pick up the phone and, and talk to. 
And he said the power of, of being able to call the guy with the name of the guitar, whereas on Fender, I had to talk to a PR person and talk to somebody's assistant that then went to the CEO and the CEO didn't know anything. And he had to, you know, the fact that Red is made by filmmakers here in Hollywood with, with real people on the ground that you can be active in the Facebook groups, you can be, be active on the forums, if you have any issues bugs you know with it they're they're actively changing the software it's still in beta and they're they're continuing to upgrade things it's cool that the company is that open and and kind of public for you to to access there's really no camera companies like that absolutely no i i think they're doing great work um and i never thought i'd be talking about <laughs> red so much on this podcast but of course my thanks pleasure. for coming on to do it dave uh where, where can people find you if they're looking for yeah your so definitely online? check me out on indie mogul uh, on YouTube, just search Indie Mogul. It's spelled I-N-D-Y-M-O-G-U-L. And my handle on Twitter is at Dave Mays. That's where you can find most of my internet uh, annoyances. Uh, that's where Tyler and I complain about things and, and discuss a lot of camera news and tech. <laughs> so go follow me on Twitter if you're one of those people. So come on, let's do it. Twitter all the way. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler.